Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? Welcome, welcome. Glad that you are with us, guys. Uh, if you are a guest with us today, uh, my name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It is so good to have you with us 
worshiping the Lord. Uh, if you are a guest, before we jump in, again, we'll just take just a quick second to say welcome to you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, if you are a guest, uh, we would love to connect with you, and the best and easiest way we can do that is for you to grab your cell phone and simply text the word CONNECT to the number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Text CONNECT so we can get plugged in with you, know what's going on in your life, how we can uh, uh, minister to you in the best way possible. But for everyone that's here, we've got our big three announcements. We do it every week. Here are the big three things we want everyone to know, and uh, if it hits you, be a part of, all right? Uh, Number one is this. Uh, Starting next Sunday, uh, April 18th, we've got our next round of new members classes coming up, okay? Um, So uh, this is our membership process. Uh, It's three weeks, meets during the 9.30 hour. It'll be April 18th, April 25th, and May 2nd for three weeks. Going through the process doesn't make you a member. It doesn't obligate you to membership, but it is the process, and we encourage you to go through that so you can find out what membership means for us, why we think it's a big deal, and we do think it's a big deal. We think it's extremely important. Um, uh, It's like marriage, right? It's the difference between uh, living with someone and getting married, right? A lot of you are just kind of shacking up with us, okay? And so we want you to get married, all right? We want to get married. Uh, the church is not a chick to date. She is a bride to love and be committed to. So, we want you to connect in covenant membership. Text the word member to the number uh, 910-424-1298. And that will get you set up for the membership class. Again, it starts next Sunday. April 24th, Saturday, April 24th, guys, we're going on a road trip for barbecue, which is the best kind of road trip. We're heading up to Parker's Barbecue in Wilson, uh, Saturday, April 24th. We're just going to go eat, hang out, and come right back, all right? But if you want to be a part of that, guys, um, let us know. Text BBQ, barbecue, BBQ to our number, 910-424-1298, so you can know how many are coming and know what transportation to help provide for everyone. But if you want to be a part of that, sign up so we can have a good plan of what that looks like. And then last big announcement for everyone, uh, Sunday, April 25th, that's not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, directly after the 11 o'clock service, we're going to have a family meeting. We do uh, three or four of these a year. They're a chance for you to come together and two things. One, hear the great stories of what God's doing. One of the great things about doing what I do is I get to hear a lot of the stories that, that many people maybe don't. I get to hear the, the amazing things that God's doing in ministries here and lives here. And so we get together for a family meeting to, one, let you know the awesome things that God's doing, and then two, to let you know what we believe God is leading us to in the future. And so we want you to be a part of that. That's April 25th. We're going to provide lunch for you. Uh, We're going to give you a chance to hang out and fellowship together, and then we're going to spend some time, again, hearing the cool things of what God's done and setting a little bit of a path moving forward. But we need to know how many to provide lunch for, okay? So if you can text FAMILY to 910-424-1298, text FAMILY, and then let us know how many in your group's coming so we can know how many to prepare for. We would wonderfully appreciate that so we can prepare and make sure uh, we have plenty of food and we don't have to ask Jesus to do the whole multiplying thing again, all right? So if you could do that, we would love to have you come and be a part of us. Uh, I want to read some scripture to you um, that sets out a little bit of what we're wanting to do today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6, and in Acts chapter 6, we're going to see some conflict rise up in the church, and we're going to see how the church handled that, and we'll talk through all that. 
but the one thing that I want you to get for us right now is what happened at the end. So, so listen to the scripture, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So after they went through the conflict and handled the conflict, verse 7 of Acts chapter 6, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So as conflict came in, conflict was dealt with, God was glorified, the word of God advanced, disciples were being made, and even the priests, the hardcore lost people who hated Christianity, they started getting saved. What I want us to see today, again, is that this is what God is still doing in the lives of people. Today, what we want, before we jump into worship, is... I want you to catch the vision of what God is seeking to do. What we've said over and over and over as we go through Acts is the kingdom of God cannot be stopped. Hell can't stop it. You and I can't stop it. It started like a small little seed and it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And nothing will thwart God and his mission. So that means this. We get to live in hope. That means there's no marriage that's a far gone situation. There's no um, thing that you're walking through right now that is too far gone and too difficult. There's no person that's too far gone to be saved. There is nothing. God was even saving the priests who hated and wanted to kill the Christians. God was saving them. So I want to ask you just to bow your heads for me this morning. Catch this vision. This is what God is doing. God is. God is still moving. He's still moving in your life. He's still moving in your family. He's still moving in His church. He's still moving in our community. He's still moving around the world. God is not being stopped. A problem that this church in Acts chapter 6 was faced with did not stop them, did not stop the mission of God. It kept moving, it kept going, it kept growing. God kept being glorified. Disciples kept getting made. The same is true for us here today. If there's a sin that you're struggling to walk in freedom from, you are not a lost cause. If there is a relationship that you're struggling to get back on tracks, it is not a lost cause. There's someone you're praying for that they would come to faith in Jesus and they are not interested and they are hard-hearted and they think the whole thing is stupid and they're just wanting you to be quiet. They are not a lost cause. God, I thank you that you are doing this. You are miraculously working in the lives of your people. You are stirring up. Your spirit is doing this. I ask you, Jesus. I ask you, Jesus. That right now in this room, you would stir up in us a, a desire, a hunger, an excitement, a longing to see you continue to do what only you can do. Thank you, Jesus. Do this for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Good morning, church. Stand with us. Here's my challenge to you today. Let's sing like it's Easter Sunday, because it is, right? Because death has been vanquished, Satan has been conquered, 
and Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to look to God and say, Father, Abba, we have a reason to sing and celebrate, and it has nothing to do with the song. It has to do with that Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And no matter what you face, no matter what I face, we can sing and we can raise the hallelujah, as the song says, and we can join together and we can encourage one another in worship that is built on truth and in the Spirit of God. So sing and let's celebrate together for the glory of Christ. I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. We all sing. I'll raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. Oh, I'll raise a
For sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. desperate need for God I want to continue in that thought as we spend a little more time praying together as far as Josh and Katri and what happens from here we'll, we'll keep you updated as we hear what's going on but, but what this does also is it stirs up in us the, the drive for, okay, what are, we, what are we supposed to be praying for, right? What's, what's supposed to be top on our prayer list? We're obviously, again, in these situations, we pray, we pray this morning, full of faith, um, no pause, no stop, no hesitation. We just prayed that God would supernaturally and miraculously save this child. We just did that. Um, I don't think we have to caveat everything um, by, um, you know, if it's your will, if it's your will. But you, we, we want the will of God. And, and newsflash, the will of God's going to happen regardless of what, you know, we say or do about that. So, so we do just pray full on. And then when we learn that that's not the direction that the Lord is seeking to go. We pray again for God's glory. We pray for his 
the Holy Spirit's ministering power on us. And then also what, what comes to my mind as well is the focus of our prayers on the salvation of men and women. Because again, if, if this morning does anything, it shows us again that life, life is very fragile. And so we take some time here this morning, and I want us to do that here right now, praying specifically for salvation. During this season, this month of April here on the tail end of Easter, we take time to raise money for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for the North American Mission Board with the Southern Baptist Convention. This seeks to share the gospel and plant churches across the country, and it's a chance for you to give financially to see that happen. So we encourage you to be full of faith for that and give generously. But I want to read one scripture to you, and then I want to take just a minute and pray for this. Romans 10, 14 and 15. So listen to how this describes ministry. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So this flows very logically, right? Um, Someone can't be a Christian unless they believe in Christ, and they can't believe in Christ unless they've heard about Christ, and they can't hear about Christ unless someone tells them about Christ, and no one can tell them about Christ unless they've been sent off to tell them about Christ, right? It, It flows very, very naturally. And this is where you come in. There are people all over this country who are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And this offering is an opportunity for you to be a part of sending them. 100% of everything you give for this offering goes straight to that. Nothing stays here. You can write a check, mark an Easter offering, and drop it in the bucket. You can give online and just designate it through the app as Annie Armstrong Easter offering. We'll send it straight there. This is a chance for you to be a part of descending so that people can go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people can hear and believe and be saved. So I'll take a minute, and I want us to pray for this. I'm just ask you just to bow your heads just for a moment. The reason this matters, and the reason we're pushing this for several weeks, the reason we care, the reason we are unashamedly asking you to generously, graciously, sacrificially give to this, is because... A, a bedrock principle for our church, a plumb line, right? A, a, a north guiding star for us is the fact that we firmly believe the only hope this nation or anyone in this nation has is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is it. For us as a church, we, have, we, we unashamedly and ferociously guard that. We, we do not get into social issues. We do not get into political issues. We do not believe any of those things are ultimately going to fix anything. The answer to gun violence is not more guns or less guns. It's people getting made new by Jesus Christ. The answer to racism is not this law or that law. It's people being made new by Jesus Christ. So that is the unashamed drum that we beat constantly 
And that's what this does. This, this offering raises financial support so that we can send people off to do that. Beat that one drum. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Going to the four corners of this country, saying Jesus is the only one who can set you free. Jesus is the only one who can set you free. Come and be made new by him. So Lord, I pray for us here this morning. I pray, Lord, that we as a congregation will have that laser focus. We're not driven off to either side by lesser things, but we stay focused on the only thing that truly matters, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ to make people new. I pray, God, that you would raise up those in this church who will go. I pray, God, you will raise up people in this church who will fervently pray. Raise up people in this church who are going to sacrificially, sacrificially, audaciously, generously give to see this happen. God, I pray that you would allow us to see many people sent so that many people can hear and many people can believe. We ask, Lord God, that you would do this for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you got a Bible, let's find Acts 6 together, okay? Acts chapter 6, we're, we're, we're continuing our study in the book of Acts. And we're doing two things as we go through Acts, all right? Number one, what we're doing is we're seeing what happened to them, right? We're, we, the book of Acts is ultimately a history book. We're seeing what happened to them then. What situations they went through, how they handled it. But then the second thing that we're seeing is what that means for us. The Bible is not just a book about things that happened back then. The, book is a, is the, the Bible is a book that is alive and active. It's speaking to us today. God is speaking to us, calling us to faith in Him and us to walk in Him and us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to, 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 to live out this life today just like they did then. So we're seeing that in the book of Acts, what happened to them and what that means for us. So in every sermon through Acts, that's what we're going to be doing. Two sides of this coin. What happened to them, what that means for us. Every week, that's what we're going to do. What happened to them, what that means for us. So today what we're going to see is this. As we've been studying the, the, the book of Acts, we're seeing this first church. Up to this point, they seem pretty awesome. Right? They are amazing. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are getting saved. They're walking in miraculous power. They are exhibiting boldness beyond our wildest understanding in the face of intense persecution. This church seems perfect. And, and if we're not careful, we'll read it and just go, why can't churches be like that today? That church was perfect. Why can't churches here be perfect? I don't know if you know this yet or not. Churches aren't perfect. If you've been doing church for longer than, I don't know, 30 seconds, you've experienced church issues, struggles, drama. It's a little more intense in some churches than others. By God's grace, the Lord is uh, allowed us to, to walk in an enormous amount of unity here. We praise the Lord for that. But we are not a perfect church. Let me go ahead and tell you now, if you're visiting with us, I'll go ahead, I tell everyone this. Every church has a three-month window of perfection. For three months, you're going to sit here and go, this church, they're not anything like my last church. This church is perfect. And then about month three, you're going to go, wait a second. 
these people are sinners. Right? And I'll go ahead and save you the hassle. We are sinners, all right? Churches are not perfect. Churches fail. Churches make mistakes. It, it doesn't go perfect all the time. But the question is, how do we handle that? How do we address that? What's the response? Right? So that's what we see happening in Acts chapter 6 with this church. So let's jump in and see what's going on. All right? Let's pick it up in verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. So things are going great. They're increasing in number. Right? They're growing. They're growing. They're growing. They're growing. They're walking around going, wow, this is amazing. So they're increasing in number. And then what happens? A, give me the word, complete. The questions just get more difficult from here, all right? I gotta be honest. So they're growing a number, and then what happens? A complaint. Yes, a complaint arose. Complaint. That word means a, a, a quiet, subtle murmuring. And then it arose, it erupted out like a volcano. They had an issue. What was the issue? A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, quick historical context. Two groups of people mentioned here, Hellenists and Hebrews. Some of your Bibles may call them Greek-speaking and Hebrew-speaking. But they are Hellenists and Hebrews. So, Hellenists adopted, they're, they're, they're Jewish people, but they adopted a lot of Greek culture. They speak the Greek language. They adopted a lot of Greek culture. They dress in Greek attire. The Hebrews were traditional Hebrews. They spoke Hebrew. They spoke the language of their forefathers. They followed the customs of their forefathers. They dressed like their forefathers, right? This is liberal conservative, right? This is Democrats and Republicans in the same church, all right? This is what's happening here. There is already enormous division between the Hellenists and between the Hebrews. What you see, this is so perfect. Again, the Bible is not just about what happened then, it's about how it happened now. So you have two groups of people who live on diametrically opposed paths. And for a long time, they've been able to kind of stay at an arm's length from one another. Like, stupid Hellenists, dumb Hebrews, right? They're able to do that. And then something crazy happens. They both get saved and end up in the same church. ruh row. Now the question is, how do we, when we think differently and do some different things and have some different thoughts and opinions, how do we live together? So the specific issue being addressed here is they said the, the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking widows, were being neglected by the daily distribution. So they didn't have government social safety nets. The church did that. There are widows who could not provide for themselves. The church did that, provided their daily needs. So apparently what's happening here is the Greek-speaking widows weren't being taken care of. And this was happening, right? It says in verse 1, their widows were being neglected. This was happening. This was a, a legit issue, not, not a gossip, not, 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 not a uh, misunderstanding. This was actually happening. Now, I don't think it was intentional, right? I don't think Peter, James, and John were sitting around sipping coffee in the apostle staff meeting going, you know who I do not feel like feeding today? Those Greek-speaking widows. They can starve. Right? I don't think that happened. It was a mistake. It was an oversight. We don't exactly know how it happened, but it happened. There's division happening in this church. 
Right here in Acts 6, there's division. What I want you to see is this. Unity is not the absence of division. Unity comes when division is met and dealt with in a gospel-centered, graceful way. Is that making sense? Unity is not uniformity. Unity is we disagree on something, and because Jesus Christ is in us, we can do that in a way that brings glory and honor to him. So here's what the apostles did. Verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, which was like 20,000 people. So that is a family meeting, right? Twenty. I don't know if they fed them. They had to text in to tell them they were coming to reserve a spot, I guess. So the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So they said, It isn't right this would happen. So the fact that he has to say it's not right, it's not okay, probably means there were people thinking that they should do that. That was kind of a push. Hey, Peter, James, John, you need to get on this thing, man. You need to take care of this stuff. And so they said, no, 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 no. It's not right that we neglect the word to serve tables. Now, they're not talking about this in a demeaning way. They're just saying, look, we all have a job to do, and, and, and we can't do it all, and we can't neglect the word to do that. So here's what they did, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So pick out seven guys, and here are the criteria. they got to be good, repute, good reputation. In other words, when you say their name, people go, oh yeah, that guy loves Jesus, right? You don't say the name and someone goes, ah, I don't know. I mean, he's a good guy and all, but. Right? You say the guy's name and he says, yeah, that guy loves the Lord, full of the Spirit. Right? This is someone who is living a spirit-led life. Someone who has submitted and surrendered to the Spirit of God. And then full of wisdom. They respond in wisdom. They don't just shoot off at the hip. They don't say dumb things. They're not, you know, they don't have unfiltered minds. Right? They, are, they, they are wise. They respond in wisdom. They respond to, to issues and problems and critiques in a wise way. Verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of of the word. So choosing these men to serve in this capacity is going to free up the apostles to devote, to, to steadfastly give attention to prayer and the ministry of the word, right? So we need these guys to do this so we can do that. Verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, which is another miracle in the book of Acts, right? I mean, you got dead people coming to life and a whole church going, we agree, right? Miracle of God. The whole gathering, it pleased them, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. By the way, I have no idea if that's the way you say those names. You just say it fast and confident, and no one knows. But I do know this. All seven of these names are Greek names. That's an interesting little thought because it's the Greek-speaking widows who are saying we have a problem. So literally what the apostles did is they went and found seven strong, vibrant men of the faith. Good reputation, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, Greek-speaking men, and raised them up. They, they empowered them. They raised them up and said, we want you guys to serve. We love you. We believe in you. We believe God is doing a great work in you. We want you to serve. Verse 6, these men, they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So they prayed over them, set them off with the task. And then verse 7, we saw this earlier. And what happened as a result? 
And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what's happening is the word of God is expanding and growing, and and priests are getting saved, and just amazing, powerful move of God. So that's what happened then. The question for us now is, what does that mean for us? So that's where we're going to jump into here for this next little part. What does this mean for us? What does this mean about Jesus? What does this mean about his salvation? What does it mean about his life in us? What does this mean about his church? How does this relate to us? So I'm going to give you a few things. All right, number one is this. Conflict will arise and must be handled in godliness. Conflict will arise. It's going to happen. In Genesis chapter 2, God created Adam and Eve. They were in the Garden of Eden. They were naked and not ashamed. What that means is this. There was no conflict, no issue, no division, no strife, perfect unity, naked and not ashamed. Chapter 3, sin comes in, and immediately what happens, if you've read your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, sin comes in, boom. Very first practical, real-life application of sin coming into the world, division between Adam and Eve. Immediate conflict. They're ashamed, they're covering up, they're blaming each other, they're hiding behind bushes. I mean, they're playing hide-and-go-seek like a three-year-old, like I've closed my eyes, God can't see me. Conflict, issues, strife, but Jesus. You get to Genesis chapter 4 and it says, but one is going to come and he's going to make all this right again. And this is Jesus. Jesus comes to make reconciliation between us and God and us and others possible. So, as conflict does still arise, what do we do? How do we handle that? How do we address this head-on in a godly, glorifying, Christ-honoring way? This This is the key. This is what I'm about to say right now totally changed my life. Every so often I get to say that, and I love that. Every so often there are things... You ever, like, you, you read your Bible, and the truth is, for a lot of times I read my Bible, and it's like having a conversation with my wife, right? I, I can maybe count five conversations with my wife that were life-changing. The majority of conversations with my wife are just relationship, right? You're just talking, you're hanging out, you got stupid little inside jokes, yeah? A lot of my time with the Lord is kind of like that, right? I'm just talking to God, He's talking to me, like nothing, like, completely world-shifting, mindset-changing. But every so often something happens and you walk away from that and say, I will never again be the same. This is one of those. Here it is. How does conflict get settled and handled with one another, privately, individually, and as a church? It comes with you being truly, completely, 100% secure in your identity in Christ. Listen to this. If you're secure in Christ, failure does not have to define you. And if you're truly secure in Christ, criticism doesn't have to crush you. The reason you crumble when people say bad things, the reason you get so angry when someone points something out. The the reason your immediate response is defensiveness. The reason that happens is because on some level, you're still trying to get value, meaning, and worth from what they think of you. And they 
don't think 100% awesome thoughts about you. So now the little G God that you've made in your life has just condemned you. And you can't handle that. So you respond with anger and frustration and bitterness and defensiveness. Or you respond in cowering, in, in, in getting back, in, in rejecting. When we understand who we are in Christ, this changes everything. When I know who I am in Christ and I fail, and I'm going to fail. One of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs, that says the righteous man falls six times, but then gets, seven times. The righteous man falls seven times, but then gets back up. What Solomon is telling us there is, you're going to fall. You're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. Set that aside. That's a going to happen. It's not that the righteous person never falls. The righteous person falls seven times, which in the Bible, seven means completion. In other words, you're falling a lot. It's not that you don't fall. It's that the righteous person gets back. How are you able to get back up? Because number one, you know your relationship with God is secure. You failing, you struggling, you have an issue, there being conflict in your life does not change how God views you. You failing does not cause God to be disappointed in you. Listen, brothers and sisters, you're not holding God up, therefore you can't let him down. You're not propping him up. So you can't be the one that lets him down. Through faith in Christ, your relationship with God is perfect and secure. And you know what that does? When you really receive that and get that, it completely changes how you view the struggles and falls and failures in your life. It totally changes everything. You don't, you don't accept it. And it doesn't, people are like, oh no, if you, if you don't see that God is upset when you make a mistake in sin, then that means you're going to keep sinning. No, it doesn't. When you see how gracious and glorious and forgiving and amazing God is, I don't want to fall. I want to walk forward in righteousness. And when I do fall, I'm so empowered to jump back up and keep running after the Lord because he's not standing back there with his arms crossed, tapping his foot. He loves me. And then the second thing, and not only it, it, it settles you in God, it settles you in other people. Because I'm free in Christ, that means I'm free from you. I don't have to live or die, be up and down, based on what you think of me. And that understanding totally changed my life. About 10 years ago, I didn't understand this, and it almost caused me to lose my marriage and my ministry. I... I craved the approval of other people. I craved it like a drug. But if you've ever walked through any kind of addiction, eventually the highs just aren't high enough and the lows just keep dropping. It's not that you do this, it's that you're doing this. And that's the path that was sending me. I was a miserable human being. I would go into my office on Monday mornings, no lie to you. When you're really afraid of people and you're getting your value and worth from them, because of what happens, when you're, when you're trying to get your value and worth from other people, you're afraid of them and what they think of you. 
right? And you become like delusional paranoid. You're seeing things that aren't there. I would walk into my office on Monday morning, no lie to you. I would see my little light blinking on my phone that I have a message, and I would go all day and not answer it out of fear that it was somebody saying a bad thing to me. How crazy is that? I would hate answering email. I didn't want to click it open. What if someone's saying something? They didn't, but it didn't matter. I so craved the approval, I ran from even the possibility of being critiqued. Which is why, by the way, many of you struggle in relationships. You desperately crave the approval of others, and you're afraid you're not going to get it, so it's easier for you just to never engage. You call it being an introvert. Really, you're just afraid of being rejected because you get your approval from them and not Christ. It struggled caused struggles in my marriage. Marie would say the most gracious, kind thing to me, and I would immediately respond in defensiveness. I would, I'd get in the car on Sundays, right, after church, and I'd get in the car, and, and like we're driving, and I'm waiting, like, like, like a junkie waiting for a hit, for her to look at me and tell me, you did such a great job. And I'm driving down the road, right, I and mean, she's not saying anything, so I'm like dropping hints. So, what'd you think? Band did great. Yeah, they're awesome. Anything else? Got a chance to talk and pray for a couple people? Great for them. That's so nice. Anything else? Anything. Anything at all. Right? I so craved it. But when God set me free, and I didn't need the approval of others anymore, when I understood how fully, completely accepted and loved I am in Christ, it set me free from people. So you know what I get to do now? I get to love people who don't like me. And there are people who don't like me. There are people who don't like you. Like, that happens. Some of it's well-deserved, I'm not going to lie. Some of it's not. I walk around the halls, and there are people who don't talk to me, and I go, I don't get that. What is up with that? But you know what? Because I'm free in Christ, you know what I get to do? Love them. Because I'm loved by Christ, I can love people who don't love me back. Because I don't need them to, receive, to get love. I don't need to get love from them. I get all my love from God. The reason you struggle so much with people who have issues with you is because you still try to get approval and love and acceptance from them. I mean, you get that stuff filled up just in Christ, you don't need them to give you that anymore. So you're able to minister now. That's exactly what happened here. So, so the apostles... They're met with this issue, and they don't respond in defense. Can you imagine Peter? He, he could have easily, the story could have gone totally different, right? Peter could have stood up and just said, excuse me? Do you know who I am? When I preach, thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. I've got the skin and the flesh, the meat, ripped off my back because of Jesus. I'm walking down the street and people will their lame and sick out in hopes that my shadow might hit them and they get healed. I don't know if you know this or not, I'm kind of a big deal. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't respond in defensiveness. He doesn't respond in anger. He doesn't shoot back. He doesn't like, oh, 
So you got problems with me? Well, I'm glad you brought this up because I've made a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> I've got a few things I'd like to discuss with you. He doesn't do any of that. He just humbly receives and is able to walk in grace. Why? Because Peter's a changed man and he knows he's accepted in Jesus Christ. He knows he's fully accepted in love in Christ and he doesn't need the approval of his people. So now he's free to actually just love them and serve them. Conflict's going to come up. We've got to handle it in a godly way. But the only way you're going to be able to do that is if we are individually and collectively as a church secure in who we are in Christ. Second is this. Prayer and the preaching of the word are of primary importance. And I told the first service I didn't realize there were so many P's in that until I just read it out loud. Prayer and preaching are of first primary importance. Verse 2, um, uh, Peter says that it's not right that we should give up preaching. Verse 4, they say we will devote ourselves to prayer and preaching. They're saying, look, we've got to have this be a focus. And, and from the very beginning, there's been a pull on the church to, to focus on other things, focus on other things, focus on other things. And the same is true for us today. Again, there's a strong pull for us to be a part of social justice issues. Strong pull for us to be a part of political issues. Strong pull for us to stand up against this person and against that thing. And again, what we've chosen as, as, as leadership here at Southview Baptist Church is to say, we focus only on Christ and His gospel. Not that those things shouldn't be discussed. They maybe should be. Not that you can't involve yourself in those things. Maybe you should. But for us as a church, God's given us one mission. And that is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know the only hope anyone has is if we proclaim a prayer-saturated gospel proclamation. So that's all we do. That's all we do. We've got one thing. We are a total one-trick pony. We are about Jesus and making disciples of Jesus. That's it. We can't be pulled aside one way or the other. And I, and I just got the feeling, and it's always been true, but I think social media isn't helping with this. 24-hour news cycles aren't helping with this. I think in the years to come, the tension on the church is going to become stronger and stronger and stronger for us to, to pull. And, and if you pay attention to national church stuff, there are some that are starting to fill that pull and, and, and move in certain directions. We're going to say here, we're not going to do that. Just focus on Christ. Third, service to the body must not be overlooked. So they focused on prayer and preaching, but that doesn't mean that service doesn't matter. Peter didn't say, hey, look, we got to pray and preach. You guys just take care of it. God will take care of you. Don't worry about that. We're going to focus on this. He doesn't do that. They set up a structure so that people can be loved and cared for. Galatians 6.10 so then, we, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. We have been gifted by God. You individually have been gifted by God. Serve Him. Do you serve Him? Do you serve him in a formal capacity? We have ministries here. Get plugged into one. Do you serve him informally? Right? You don't have to just serve in a, in a predetermined ministry. Just as you see people in need, do you care for them? You see someone sick, you take them a meal. You just care for people and serve them. 
What we see here is God is calling us to be a servant people. For us as a church, that's what we're called to do, to serve, to bless, to care for those around us, to care for the body that God has given us here. The reason that we don't serve is because we have not fully seen God's great service of us. So I want to encourage you, set your heart on how Christ has served you and let that empower you to then turn around and serve others. Fourth, the results of all of this faithful proclamation and loving service is gospel expansion right? They're growing. Um, People are getting saved and discipled and things are just blowing up. The early church was experiencing amazing fruit. However, without the proper structure, that fruit was actually going to cause the church to collapse in on itself. It was causing strife and problem. And so being led by the Holy Spirit, the apostles restructured the organization so that they continued to proclaim the word, continued to be faithful in prayer, and serve the people that God's given them even better. Uh, This is, quite honestly, where we are as a church. This is where um, it fits very nicely with us as a congregation. Uh, Pre-COVID, we uh, we averaged around 700 to 750 uh, men, uh, women, and children every Sunday. Uh, We we're a church of, we have a little over a thousand people that called Southview their home. Not everybody showed up every week, right? So we kind of cycled through a little bit. So we had well over a thousand people that called Southview Baptist Church their home. And we averaged around 750 people every week that would be here on a Sunday. And even during COVID, we've continued to be blessed and to grow. In fact, if you started attending here in the last year since COVID hit, just slip your hand up real quick. Boom, all over the place. About one-third of our current attendants started attending since COVID. So with the new people that have come in since COVID, and more and more and more of our longtime members coming back, it is very easy to think that in a short amount of time of the next year, we are going to get back to our pre-COVID and beyond numbers. Here's the sticking point, though. You ready? Take the COVID year out, just assuming what we were and what we think God is going to allow us to be again. The truth is this. We're a church of a thousand people, in large part structured like a church that runs a buck twenty. A lot of our processes, a lot of our systems, a lot of our organizations, a lot of our structures were created 15, 20 years ago. Way before the church experienced the growth that it did. And the result of that is we have like Acts 6, a relatively small group of people spinning an awful lot of plates. And so we need a couple of things. Like Acts 6, we need to raise up people to serve, and we need to go through a little bit of a restructuring, to be quite honest. We need to spend a little time seeking the Lord and say, okay, God, what does this need to look like? Uh, As we're thinking through this, the pastoral staff, kind of the terminology we're using to think through this is the trellis and the vine. So think about if you grow a vine. If, like, if you plant a vine, a vine is growing. If you just plant a vine and let it go, it just kind of spreads all over the yard. It's just wild and unkempt, and, and you're not going to get a lot of fruit, and it's going to mess up other things and damage other plants. So what do you do? You build a nice trellis, and you plant it in the ground, and you cultivate that vine in such a way where it grows up in that trellis, right? And that's how the vine is going to bear the most fruit, That's going to look the most aesthetically pleasing, right? It's going to be the best possible thing. So that's what we're talking about. The vine work is the disciple making, right? 
telling people about Jesus, them coming to Jesus, discipling them in Jesus, counseling, ministry, all those, the, 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 that stuff. But in order for us to do that well, we need to do, we need to build a good trellis. That's going to be the, the financial stuff, the organizational stuff, the, the facility stuff, the, the, the structure and, and, and flow chart, all of those things. And I know, like, a lot of times I say that, and, and there are typically two groups of people in a church. So I don't know if you ever did Dave Ramsey. Anybody Dave Ramsey people? Right? Right? So what is that? You got the free spirits and the nerds, and typically they're married. Right? The nerd is, 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 I mean, you know to the penny what you have in the bank. Right? And right now, your husbands and wives are looking at each other right now. Like, mm-hmm. There's a person that you know to the penny what is in your bank. And then you get the free spirits like, oh, it's, you know, rounded to the closest 10,000. I don't know. Let's go have fun. Same thing in a church. You have some people that are, that are um, uh, we don't want to talk about that structure stuff that is unspiritual. No, no, no. We just want to worship Jesus and tell people about Jesus. Yes and amen. And then we have some people like, no, structure, 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 structure. And all they do is worry about the structure and not the people. We got to have both. What we see in Acts 6 is church structure is a gospel issue. It is not some dumb thing that nerds sit in a room and talk about. It's actual gospel issue. How we structure our church determines how much fruit God's going to let us have. That's a big deal. So for us, over the next several months to come, we're going to talk about a little bit on the April 25th family meeting, be a part of that. We're going to chat a little bit about what we think the structure might look like moving forward and how we can be praying about what God would have us be structure-wise because we want to see. Another way that I kind of describe it is God's going to rain down his blessings and we want to build the best bucket we can to catch as much of it as possible. Does that make sense? So how do we build the best bucket we can to catch everything that God's going to pour down? It's exactly what they were doing in Acts 6, building a better bucket so that they can catch more people and minister to them and love them and care for them well. And this brings us kind of to the, the final thought, and I want to ask our band to come up. So our last thought is, Jesus is the ultimate servant who saves sinners. All of this is about Jesus. Jesus Christ saving people and making them new. And Jesus Christ was the ultimate servant. This Acts chapter 6 is about conflict, humility, grace, love, prayer, gospel proclamation, and advancement of the kingdom. And that's exactly what we want to see happen here. We want to see the kingdom of God advanced, the Spirit of God pour out on us. And this happens because Jesus Christ is the great servant. I want to read Philippians chapter 2 to us. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, Let's do this. Let's do a little... um, uh, 
illustration practice. So everybody, right now, breathe in. Now breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. I want you to think of breathing as an illustration of how Christianity works. If all you do is try to breathe out, right? All you do is just sit in there and go... Eventually, your lungs are going to run out of air, your face is going to turn blue, and you're going to pass out. You've got to breathe in so that you can breathe out. And listen, for many of us, that whole breathe out illustration, that's how you're trying to live Christianity. You're just trying to serve and serve and go and go. And you're right, I need to do more, and I need to serve, and I need to do this. Yeah, 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 you're go. Not understanding that the point is you must breathe in who Jesus is. And as you breathe in who Christ is, now you're empowered to actually breathe something out. So I want to ask you just to bow your heads just for a moment. And, and I want you to, again, just kind of in your mind, just, just visualize what's happening here. As you breathe in the humble, gracious service of Christ, you will then be empowered to breathe out humble, gracious service in the power of Christ. As you breathe in the humble, gracious service of Christ, you're able to breathe out the humility of Christ when you're met with criticism and conflict. As you breathe in the humble, gracious service of Christ, you'll breathe out a focus on prayer and the word because you know the gospel proclaimed and the power of prayer is the only hope anyone has of being at peace with God. And as you breathe in the humble, gracious service of Christ, you're going to breathe out a passion for serving other believers because the love of God flows out of you to them. The point today isn't that you hear this and go, you're right, we need to serve, and we need to do this, we should change that, let's get on that, let's get in a room and whiteboard that thing out. No, the point of today is this. You take some time, you breathe in, you soak in, you marinate in the gracious sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. How he served you and sacrificed for you and laid his life down for you, and you soak in, you breathe in that then allow that to empower you to live out that life in his strength. And for those of you who are not followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus exhibited the greatest act of service by soaking up the wrath of God that was rightly due to you. Imagine this. You got your eyes closed. Just kind of imagine this. Imagine you're standing on a beach. And as you're standing there, the water immediately recedes farther than you can see. Football field's gone away from you. You're thinking, what in the world just happened? And then in a distance, you see something small, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and you realize this giant wave, this tsunami is coming after you. And listen, there's nowhere for you to run. You can't outrun this thing. There's nowhere for you to hide. You are done for. 
That wave is going to crush you and you can't stop it. But then imagine, as that wave is barreling towards you, you can already feel the spray on your face. You can feel the wind. Everyone around you is screaming. You know death is imminent. At the very last second, this giant canyon opens up in front of you and all the water goes flooding down into it. You open up your eyes and you're dry as a bone. And all of that water has gone into that canyon. You're completely saved. This is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. You are standing on the beach of your own sin. That is your own making. You did that. You sinned. You rebelled. You ran. You sought your own way. And now the tsunami wave of God's wrath is barreling down on you. You cannot outrun this. You cannot escape this. You cannot defeat this. It will meet you and it will crush you. But as that wave of God's wrath is coming towards you, Jesus Christ is that canyon. The cross of Jesus Christ absorbs every ounce of the wrath of God that was rightly deserved for us so that we get to stand on the other side of the cross, try as a bone in jaw-dropping wonder and praise of what Jesus Christ just did for us. He just saved you. That's why we use the word saved. What are you saved from? You're saved from the wrath of God that is going to crush you. Jesus Christ saves you. Today, there are people in this room, you need to receive that. Have you ever had someone try to give you a gift, try to serve you, try to help you, try to bless you? Or you ever tried to do that for someone, help someone, serve someone, bless someone, and, and they refused? They said, no, I don't want that. Don't do that for me. For some of us in this room, that's exactly what you're doing to Jesus. He wants to serve you. He wants to bless you. He wants to absorb the wrath of God for you, but you're saying, no, 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 I don't don't want you to do that. Today, realize that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again to absorb God's wrath and make you new, to save you. Today, just simply say, Jesus Christ, I know that's what you did. Thank you. Save me. Make me new. Take my sin Take my shame, take my pain, make me new. I give you my life. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, today just take a few moments and remember what it was like to sit on that beach. Remember what it was like when you realized God's wrath was barreling down on you. Remember that moment when you realized, I am a sinner. I deserve God's punishment. I deserve hell. Remember what that was like. And then that moment when you placed faith in Jesus and you realized that he soaked up every ounce of wrath that was rightly deserved for you. See the sacrifice and the service of Jesus and let that drive you to serve others. Because he laid his life down for you, you now are empowered to lay your life down for others. Jesus, I ask that you would do this in us. I ask you, Jesus, that you would, by your grace, open up eyes to see your grace and your love and your sacrifice and your service for us. 
And I pray, God, that we would freely and gladly lay down our lives in service to you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. For the last song, we're going to sing the blessing. And it literally is God's blessings over his people. So I would encourage you, church, to find a brother or sister that maybe God has laid on your heart recently. Find him or her and pray with them. Sing with them. I encourage you to come here and pray or stand and sing with us or just reflect but think about the lyrics think about the scripture that, that God pours out over his people he blesses us and keeps us and makes us whole and that's why we sing right that's why we celebrate so again as the spirit causes you to act I pray that you would be obedient in that today whether we sing together or cry together or stand in awe and wonder. May God have his way in our hearts today as we celebrate through song. Children, their children, their children, may his presence go before you, 
Thank you, Jesus. We ask you, Lord God, today God, that your people, we would we would again just see your sacrifice, your love, your grace. We thank you, God, that that again, you never leave us or forsake us and so that when we are met with hardship and difficulty and pain, when there's times that we ourselves have struggled or fallen or times where things have just hit us from this world. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you never leave us or forsake us. We love you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. We ask you, God, your blessings on your people this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Have a great week.